Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is presented by Hercules Tires. Now here's your host, Eric Danner. Welcome to the WAC Podcast. My name is Eric Danner. We hope that everyone is out there being safe and are in good health as we try to maybe have a diversion for a little bit anyway, talking about WAC sports for the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour and big show planned for you today. We have Rachel Vigil is going to be with us in the first segment. Uh, we're going to talk about what happened during the WAC basketball tournament, albeit uh, a little bit limited and some of the things we have going on in the Western Athletic Conference since then. And then we're going to talk to Adam Young, the New Mexico State uh, broadcaster who is uh, fantastic, does a lot of different sports and uh, a very insightful conversation coming up with Adam and this is the WAC podcast brought to you by Hercules Tires and Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength for a retailer near you visit HerculesTires.com and we now bring in Rachel V. Hill, and we're practicing uh, safe social distancing here as I'm uh, at my home in Colorado Springs, and, and Rachel is at her home in the Denver area. Rachel, hopefully you're, you're staying safe and sound right now. Yeah, I am. I've been spending a lot of time indoors, that's for sure, and being able to take my dog on walks, which has been nice to get out and get a little bit of sun. But it's very windy here in Colorado recently, so that's kind of been unfortunate. But have been staying safe, and luckily no members of my family have been affected yet. So fingers crossed nothing bad happens in the upcoming future. Yeah, it's one of those things um, seems to be rapidly advancing, and especially here in, in Colorado. I know a lot of states are hot spots uh, where I'm at in Colorado Springs uh, has been uh, particularly hard hit. Uh, but the, the other thing, you know, just trying to figure out what to do. Uh, we, we met last week, Rachel, via uh, conference call uh, through the team app on uh, on Microsoft and, and uh, throwing around some different ideas, what we can do to for our fans uh, during the quarantine here. And, and one of the things, uh, what was this whack podcast that uh, wanted to get off the ground? And uh, we're thinking uh, of a couple other things we, we got going on. And one of those is uh, Wackatology, which is uh, this week. And those are some of the greatest teams in whack history, going back to the days, not just the current uh, schools that we have, going all the way back to 1962 when the whack first started. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting, uh, Rachel, to go back and look at some of that history and and some of the great teams and the great coaches we've had over the years to vicky who does our graphics she did an incredible job making those too they look awesome so hopefully everyone goes and votes on them because they do look great but it is really crazy especially because you know growing up i didn't really pay attention to the whack i know that's kind of like a slap on the wrist for me now working for them <laughs> but it's so cool because i do remember hearing about some of those teams when i was younger so it's nice to be able to look back and then of course we have the new mexico state aggies from this year too on there so it's really cool to see yeah new mexico state's men's team which of course went 16 and 0 this year first 16 and 0 team in whack history we, we've had a few undefeated teams over the years 
Last one before that was actually TCU, went 14-0. Never had a team go 16-0. In my conversation with Adam Young, which we'll hear a little bit later on, this was a team that was really peaking at the end of the season. We saw them blow out California Baptist uh, towards the end of the year in one of the most dominant games in my four years in the WAC that, that I've had a chance to see. They had Trev Queen, who was back healthy, Uh, They had uh, A.J. Harris potentially coming back along with Yvonne uh, Urikoachea playing really well. And and it's unfortunate, but obviously everyone's in the same boat. But that's really a team, Rachel, that could have made some noise in the NCAA tournament had that gone on. I know. And my heart just breaks for a bunch of those seniors, too. And for really all of the seniors that didn't have an opportunity to play in the tournament at all. Uh, I know as fans, we're all kind of disappointed that we don't have March Madness going on. But really, if you think about it, like those players have put so much time and effort the entire year and their entire careers. And it kind of just got taken away from them. Obviously, for good cause, we all want to stay safe and healthy and we want to shut this completely down. But it is just like heartbreaking for those seniors. Like you mentioned, Trev Queen, like my heart just breaks for him. (laughs) And I know one of the things we got to cook in as well is is you're going to fire up a whack all access, maybe in a little different format than we've seen before, trying to do some uh, student athlete, uh, player, coach uh, interviews uh, on uh, uh, different uh, social media formats. Yeah, so hopefully, I'm. it hasn't been confirmed yet, but I'm hoping to be talking to a New Mexico State player sometime this week on Instagram Live. So we're going to be going live and being able to just ask questions, allow fans to get on and ask questions. I know a lot of us are home right now and bored, so when we see a notification, hopefully a lot of people will tune in. And again, just ask questions. It'll be interesting to hear from different players like how their take on the basketball tournament was or if their spring season got canceled and now what they're doing to try and stay in shape. So I'm really excited for that. Again, we're waiting for confirmation just make sure that everything can work out but hopefully it does work out and we'll be very excited for it yeah and and encourage fans to check out our instagram twitter we're we're still trying to produce uh, some content on there and mention wackatology so i want to encourage people to go to twitter vote on those matchups it's a it's a lot of fun to look back and and see some of the great teams in whack history and also uh, see some uh, current stuff going on as well now rachel last time i saw you uh, we actually went into the office one day after the, the basketball tournament ended. It just so happened the, the WAC offices, which are in Denver, were being renovated. Uh, we've been in the same offices, I want to say, like 20 years, something like that, long before you and I were with the WAC. And, and we were in temporary <laughs> offices, so we had to get out of there. So so we had to kind of go in and, and do some of that. But before that, it was at the WAC tournament. And it was kind of uh, surreal in a way, uh, just getting there uh, on the Tuesday which normally, you know, there's a lot of flights to Las Vegas from Denver, and it's usually pretty easy to get there. Uh, we we kind of had an idea that that uh, some serious things were coming when, when both you and I were having trouble even getting to Las Vegas. I had a couple flights canceled. You wound up getting routed through Boise? Yeah, it was the craziest experience I've had flying for sure. Um, I got a notification at like 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning and it was like, hey, your flight's been delayed until I think it was like 240 or something. So you're like, okay, like we're just going to chill at home, go to the airport around like 1230, you know, two hours ahead of time. At like 11.15, I get another notification that my flight has been moved up to 145. And so I'm like, okay, I need to leave my house now to get to the airport. And I was right. Ubering to get there too. So then I have like called my Uber. I'm getting ready to go. And then I get another notification within like five minutes. And it's like, your flight's been moved up to 1245. 
And I'm like, I live 30 minutes from the airport that's taking toll roads. Right. And I'm like, I have to literally be like halfway there right now to make this flight. And within another 10 minutes, then I get a notification that my flight is leaving at 12.15, which is five minutes later than my original flight time. So I'm like, there's no way I'm making this flight at all. Like, it's impossible. I had another coworker with me, too. And she's like, yeah, we can't make this flight. So we get to the airport we get like checked in or whatever and we're like we need a different flight and uh the lady was like we don't have anything until nine o'clock tonight but my coworker had just talked to somebody and she's like i'm getting routed to boise to hopefully get there by six o'clock tonight and i'm like well i might as well do that just in case something happens and the nine o'clock flight gets canceled so we ended up going through boise we had like a two-hour delay in boise or layover uh, so we just went and got some food and some drinks and then luckily we made it to Vegas at six o'clock. But I know your flight got completely canceled, Eric, and then your flight on <laughs> yeah. Sunday for us to come home got canceled, right? It, it did. It did. And then, uh, you know, the way it wound up working out and, you know, thank goodness, you know, everybody was, was safe and sound. But uh, yeah, it was was a little nerve wracking, especially knowing that we had all the games scheduled at that time. We, we just to let fans know, we produced 12 games, uh, four games per day. Uh, from the WAC office, so I'm the producer of the games, and Rachel's the sideline reporter, and uh, then the ESPN comes in and does the championship games. So it's always one of those things we're building up to all year. We did the Road to WAC Vegas show all year long, and you know we're anticipating this great tournament. Uh, we get there uh, on Wednesday. We we get the games going. Uh, the women's uh, quarterfinals. We saw Kansas City win. We saw a great game between New Mexico State and UTRGV with Gia. Pack's comeback and looked like it was going to be a great semifinal matchup between the Aggies and the Ruse. And then we had our, our third game and we got into our fourth game and all of a sudden uh, things started to change. But as the day was going along, Rachel, uh, we had you as, as our sideline reporter, but you, you turned into a breaking news reporter, as it turns out, during the tournament. Yeah, I really did. Uh, I was sitting there with two other coworkers too, and we were on press row and we were just constantly refreshing Twitter because it seemed like every five minutes, something new was coming out. First, the I League canceled and then the NCAA was not allowing fans in and then the NBA canceled their or postponed their season. I shouldn't say canceled. Uh, and it was just literally like crazy. You didn't want to put down your phone because it seemed like new information was dropping every single minute. And I remember going to bed on Wednesday night and I was like, I don't even know if I want to go to bed because I'm not really sure what I'm going to miss out on. Like if I do, you know, what am I going to wake up to? Um, and it just, so backstory a little bit is my dad has major health issues too. And my dad had come out for the WAC tournament for the second year in a row. So mm -hmm. I was like, if this is all breaking, I need to get him home like ASAP. And I don't know if I want to send him to an airport or if I should have him rent a car. And luckily he was with my aunt. Uh, so we were kind of able to figure it out, but they ended up getting a next flight out that morning just because of everything that had happened. And, you know, there were just so many unknowns that nobody really knew about that. It was just a crazy, crazy time. It really was. And hopefully your dad's uh, doing well. Yes, he is. Yeah, he's been home. He's got his milk service delivery now that brings it right to the door. Same with food and everything. So he's doing well. <laughs> Talking with Rachel V. Hill and Rachel, uh, the, the other thing that uh, happened there on, on my end. So we're working with Syscom, which is a group out of Utah that, that does the production of the games. And a lot of the uh, camera people and, and uh, graphics and those folks, uh, do freelance for the Utah Jazz, and they were kind of getting word because when you're in the truck and uh, let people behind the scenes a little bit, you're focused on the game. I'm not 
checking my phone. I, I don't have a lot of access to, to a lot of different things that are going on because you're just focused on the games and getting the commercial breaks rolled in at the right times and all that good stuff and what's coming up at halftime. And, and the, these guys are like, oh, my gosh, Rudy Gobert tested positive. I'm like, what, what are you guys talking about, Rudy Gobert? And then when that happened, about the same time we heard Tom Hanks tested positive. And then all yeah. of a sudden it became, oh, my gosh, anybody can get this. And, mm-hmm. and it became kind of, kind of scary in a way. And, and then on, so we decided to postpone the game, the fourth game on Wednesday, because there were some health issues uh, with a player and we didn't know exactly what was, you know, happening, wanted to be on the safe side there. So decided to postpone that fourth game until 9.30 a.m. the next day. And we're going to play five games that day. Originally was the schedule. Our uh, 80s and presidents met, uh, decided it was uh better for the safety of everyone to cancel the tournament already by that time the teams were warming up for that 9 30 a.m game so so they got sent home so it was uh, just a a strange time but uh you know i i think really erring on the side of caution was was the right move and especially after what we've seen in uh in the united states in the past two weeks since then yeah i i do think it was the right decision to do because you don't know what could have happened. And I think that was like the major thing for the NCAA and for the WAC and the board is that we were seeing players who, you know, one was sick. Yes. But then like all the ways that they interact with like touching the ball, hitting each other, or that sounds bad, hitting each other, bumping up against each other, <laughs> right. like any way that they can have physical contact. If there was one player that like it could affect everybody, you know, and that's just, that's a very eerie feeling. And I think that's really a good reason why a lot of us are staying home uh, too right now. It's just because you don't know. And it could have maybe yes for the younger generation is you can survive it, but like, who are you going to possibly pass it on to that may not survive it? Um, So I definitely has been a interesting, interesting time. And actually that night I saw, so the player that was sick, I saw that head coach in the elevator and, um, he had mentioned to me that it was just a very strange time and that obviously like health was the number one concern. And I don't want to say anything that came out of his mouth, but it seemed like it was the right decision on his part as well to not end up having to play any of the other games. So I think it's a good thing to kind of have somebody who's very like personal with the player to be like, no, we should not do this. So it was definitely an interesting conversation I had with him as well. And then uh, during the quarantine, you mentioned uh, Rachel that, you're able to, to go out on walks with your dog and that type of thing. But uh, what what else do you, do you do to, to stay busy? And uh, I know you're a person who likes to go and uh, work out and that type of thing. What what do you do to, to fill that void? Are you able to, to do some home workouts, anything like that? Um, I've done a couple. I use a program called Tone It Up, which is like they have a couple um, at home workouts. But honestly, I've just been doing a lot of walking my dog. Uh, my boyfriend goes over. We have a building across some soccer field and they have some like workout equipment outside. Uh, I personally can't get like a complete workout out of it like he can. And he's a lot stronger than me. So it definitely works out a little bit better for him. But I've just been taking my dog on long walks to kind of stay healthy and just be outdoors. Because uh, being, I'm sure, you know, being at home is 
stuffy after a while. <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever been like, man, I just really need to get out of my house. Even to go, like, if we get food and we just go through a drive through I'm like, let's just go and not even get it delivered because I just need to, like, step out of my house for five minutes. Just to get some fresh air? Yeah, it's it's been crazy hard. And I only live in an apartment, so it's been definitely difficult. And my boyfriend's working from home, too, so we, like, separate for pretty much half of the day. And we get, like, one person in the bedroom, one person in the living room, and then we kind of switch, too. So it has been a very interesting experience. And nobody has ever experienced anything like this, either. I was talking to my grandma, and she was like, yeah, I've never had anything like this where it took such a turn so quickly. And But we also have no idea when it could possibly end. It could end in December, for all we know. Yeah, and I've had similar conversations. And the only thing I can compare it to is post 9-11, there was kind of a fear of going outside for a while because we weren't sure, was there going to be another attack? Um, I live in Colorado Springs, which is a major military uh, hub. So there, there was, you know, always rumors, hey, what's going to happen here? Um, you know, of different different types of things. and But it didn't last this long and it wasn't, you know, formally all at once like this. So yeah, it's definitely something none of us have seen in, in our lifetimes for sure. Now, staying inside, Rach, have you been able to, to get uh, some shows going on Netflix or, or what, uh, what, what, how do you spend the time? Are there some shows, some books you've read, some podcasts you're listening to? Uh, what, what are some things you got going on there? So I have been reading a little bit. I've been reading Becoming Michelle Obama, her book, uh, which is really good. If you have not had an opportunity to read it, you definitely should. It's uh, interesting to see her life growing up and then obviously going into the White House. We've also started, and I'm sure you've heard of it, The Tiger King uh, on Netflix. (laughs) There's like, I think, seven episodes, not too many. But that show is crazy. It's kind of it's almost like a train wreck. You know how you have to almost like watch a train wreck happen. That sounds horrible, but you kind of do like that is kind of that show. And there are so many things. And I'm sure if you've been on Twitter or Instagram or anything, you've definitely (laughs) seen memes on it because that show is crazy. And those people, I don't know how they gave up their lives to do all that. (laughs) Have you been able to watch it, Eric? You know, I have not. I actually, uh, my my daughter's here with me who's uh, 16. So she, she didn't seem to show a whole lot of interest in that. So I was like, well, I'll watch it at some other time, but again, you know, you're together all the time, so there's, there's not really the opportunity to, to so it, if we're watching something, it, it has to be something we're both interested in, but uh, I tried to start up Ozark, which is a show that I watched uh, the first two seasons of, and again, that's one she's not terribly interested in, so um, yeah, just trying to find movies, stuff like that, uh, board games, board games are making yep. a comeback, we have some puzzles. Uh, oh, nice. So, have you played Ticket to Ride? I have not. It's a very fun board game. Uh, we've been playing that a little bit too. So that's a lot of fun. If you have an opportunity to pick that one up, definitely should. So anyway, it's, uh, it's you know, good to talk to you, Rachel. Uh, I, I know it's uh, it's been a tough time uh, for everybody here. So we want to wish everybody uh, well and, and good health and that type of thing. And uh, uh, want to thank you for, for taking some time out uh, for the show here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I know I miss, I miss talking to everybody. I miss being in the office for sure. So, but yeah, I hope everybody is staying safe and healthy and washing their hands too. So. All right. That is Rachel V. Hill. And coming up next, we're going to talk with Adam Young, the broadcaster from New Mexico State. We have a nice conversation coming up with him. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our partners, Hercules Tires, Ticket Smarter, and Adidas. Now, back to the WAC Podcast. 
Beck delivers. Gonzalez swings and he crushes it. Left center field. Warning track wall. Goodbye. Rays will enter left wing to pass. Avoids the ball screen. Fires a three and connects for the left wing. Queen brushes off the McCants ball screen. Ball reversal, left sideline three. Swishes in for C.J. Bobbitt. Those are the sounds of Adam Young, the broadcaster for New Mexico State, our guest in this segment. But first, a reminder, the WAC podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference, and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. Now we welcome in the Director of Broadcasting for NM State Sports Properties, Adam Young. Adam, how you doing today? Eric, I'm doing all right, trying to stay busy and uh, find different things to do during this tough time right now. Yeah, as we all are, Adam, uh, doing some social distancing during this crisis. We want to hope uh, all our listeners out there are doing well, uh, staying healthy. And Adam, as I understand it, you're in Las Cruces right now? Yeah, I am. And we've done some stuff, to be honest, Eric. We've been able to do some social distance interviews with some of our head coaches. Uh, Chris Gians actually did one with myself about a week ago, uh, just trying to find ways to stay busy and still push out content, but also be mindful of what's going on around the country and around the world. So we're trying to push out as much content as possible. And of course, with basketball just finishing up and men's basketball having such a good season, we try to put together a season recap. And uh, Chris Jans is always accessible and candid. And we did about a 45-minute season recap with him, which uh, we posted about a week ago. Now, how did that work, Adam, in terms of student-athletes coming back to campus? Obviously, after the uh, basketball tournament, after the spring sports were canceled, are student-athletes still on campus at New Mexico State, are they still around Las Cruces? Yeah, you know, I think, honestly, it differed by sport, Eric. Um, men's basketball still has a few guys around, but uh, some of them did leave. Now, a guy like Ivan Aore Coachea cannot leave to go back home to Spain. So some people are in tougher positions. I, I know some of our baseball players stuck around to train at a nearby facility. Um, other sports I'm not exactly 100% sure about. I think a lot of football players went back to train back home as well. So um, it, it seems like it's kind of a mixed bag, and some folks did stick around. Some went back home. And I know for, for some of these student athletes, I mean, if, if you don't get on a plane, it's going to take a few days to get back home. So they've opted to stay uh, here on campus or stay um, in their homes or apartments near campus. Let's go back to the WAC tournament. On Wednesday of the WAC tournament, we had Adam doing our late game, which was the CSU Bakersfield Grand Canyon women's basketball game and got word late to, uh, right before the start of the game that uh, we we're going to postpone it due to some health concerns. Come back the next morning at 9.30, try to replay it. Uh, there was a meeting between uh, WAC presidents, WAC athletic directors, and during that meeting they had decided to cancel the tournament. Uh, we were kind of unsure what the uh, next step was going to be. And, and kind of a, that morning, Adam, they had a lot of uh, conferences, SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, all decided to cancel as well. And, and that uh, was also the decision by the Western Athletic Conference. So obviously New Mexico State had uh, 
high aspirations, both men's and women's, for the WAC basketball tournament. What was the reaction of the student-athletes when they found out the tournaments were canceled? Well, we actually spoke to Chris Jans about that uh, last week, and he said it, it was, of course, a somber, sad mood whenever he told the team uh, that the tournament was canceled. But he said there was about a two-hour window from when the WAC tournament was canceled to when the NCAA tournament was canceled. So as far as the Aggie men's basketball team and Kansas City's women's team was probably in the same boat as well, uh, since they were the regular season champs, they were going to be the automatic qualifiers. So um, there was about a two-hour window there where they still thought they would have some season left and still play in the NCAA tournament. Now everything happens so quickly, and honestly, that Wednesday night, I thought we'd still have some basketball Thursday, um, but I I thought we would have it in front of no fans. And then, of course, you know, everything was getting canceled. So we started seeing on our phones that other tournaments were being canceled. And at that point, about 10 minutes or so before the announcement, we knew that we weren't going to play that day. But everything happened so quick and so fast. And um, it went from, okay, well, there might not be any fans to, well, there's no tournament. And then a couple hours later, there's no NCAA tournament either. So Um, I think you would agree with this. Everything really, really sped up uh, during the course of, I guess, about 24 hours during that Wednesday and then into that Thursday morning in Vegas. Yeah, Adam. And then not too long after that, we started seeing spring sports getting canceled and the NCAA made that decision to cancel the spring championships and and the WAC has since uh, fallen suit and uh, canceled spring sports for uh, the 2020 uh, spring season. So mm-hmm. uh, everything just sped up so rapidly. And Wednesday night especially was was just a one of those nights I think we'll probably remember for a long time. Uh, first off, when the, the news that Rudy Gobert uh, tested positive for the Utah Jazz, and then the other one uh, being Tom Hanks. And it really proved that, wow, this, this virus can get anybody. Yeah, once you saw spring sports getting canceled, that's when it kind of really sunk in like, okay, this might not just be a couple weeks or a month. This might, you know, last a decent while. And really, honestly, at that point, I mean, I wasn't reading a whole lot into it. I hadn't read about the coronavirus a whole lot or paid a ton of attention to it because I didn't think it had impacted the United States all that much yet. But um, obviously, we had no idea what we were ahead for and was about to come in the coming weeks and you know the health of everybody comes first and it's unfortunate that there isn't an NCAA tournament and there's this huge void without any sports and I feel so bad for the spring student athletes Um, I know we'll talk about this later but uh, baseball and softball here with NM State they were doing so well and you know we had the chance to to cover a young man by the name of Nick Gonzalez who um, is special so we'll talk about that I'm sure later but Um, I feel bad for the student athletes, especially the ones in the spring that, you know, barely got a third of their season in, which is uh, tough to swallow. Yeah, we will get to that, Adam, as far as spring sports and and potential impacts and and, uh, some decisions that some uh, student athletes might have to make in the near future. Now, going back to the men's basketball team, the Aggies are riding high a 19 game win streak. They went 16-0 and in the WAC, first ever team to go 16-0 and in Western Athletic Conference play. And they were just playing outstanding basketball, had a big win over California Baptist, maybe one of the most dominating wins I've seen in my four years in the Western Athletic Conference. And and they were really uh, raring to go. And, and you've covered this team for quite a few years now, Adam. Was this the best New Mexico State men's basketball team you've seen? 
they were getting there, and Chris Jan said that when I spoke to him recently. He said they were getting there, especially defensively. And if you know this Aggie program, they really hang their hat on defense. And a couple weeks ago, with a couple weeks left in the regular season, they were not playing all that well defensively. They had a game against Utah Valley where they needed a Jabari Rice buzzer beater to win it. And I spoke to Chris Jans after that game on television post game, and he wasn't happy. It wasn't your typical head coach who, um, you know, just survived and got a win. He was pretty displeased with how his team performed, especially defensively. They actually used that game to propel them going forward, and they they actually said that they served it as a loss. They told each other that, hey, we should have lost that game. Let's act like we lost that game and uh, change how, how we're going about our business on a daily basis going forward. And then the team bought in defensively. And according to Chris, that they got to the point where he thought this team defensively was just as good, maybe better than the other teams he's had here defensively. So that's scary when the head coach says that. Um, they, were, they were peaking, and they always seemed to peak under him at the end of the season. So who knows? Um, uh, A.J. Harris might have been back. If not the WAC tournament, if they made the NCAA tournament, he was probably going to be back. Um, they were about as healthy as they were going to be despite all the injuries to start the season. Uh, Queen was playing well. Aure Coachea was playing well. Rice was playing well. The list goes on and on. And who knows what would have happened. I, but I think this team was certainly good enough to win an NCAA tournament game or two. And a, a lot of it would have depended on matchups going in. And they probably were going to be a 13 seed if they made it to the dance. But uh, they had a chance. They were peaking for sure. Adam, this team looked like it could have made a run, uh, maybe won a first-round game, maybe won a, uh, gone to the Sweet 16. Who knows? Yeah. With uh, Trev Queen back after injury, he was looking good. As you mentioned, A.J. Harris uh, could have potentially yeah. been back for the NCAA tournament. And and a guy who was playing really well, Ivan Auri Coachea. Uh, the senior, the Spaniard, uh, the glue guy of the team. And Adam, uh, you've really been an all-star at how to pronounce his name, uh, as uh, I have struggled with it the last couple of years, but uh, you have seemed to nail it every single time. Well, I'll go back to when we signed him, Eric. And uh, John Vu was our uh, sports information director at the time, and now he's at Utah doing great things there. And he was our men's basketball contact, and he showed me uh, the name. And I said, oh, no, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and, and I said to John, I said, how good is he? Do you think he's going to play a lot? And he said, he's probably going to start for two years. So you better start practicing. Uh, so, I mean, legitimately, you know, it's, it's like you're practicing the name. I mean, you're thinking about it, trying to make sure you can pronounce it on the fly. <clears throat> because if, if you're calling the game, especially on radio, it can be really, really hard because everything's happening so quick on radio. Now, television's a little different. But um, I got it down pat pretty quick, and I noticed, especially on national TV games, they, they just couldn't get it. It was almost like they weren't practicing ahead of time or whatnot. <laughs> but really, honestly, Eric, the biggest thing with it, and I think most broadcasters would agree with this, is if you just phonetically spell it out on your spotting sheet like you're going to say it, it's a lot easier than just actually putting how it is spelled on your spotting sheet because it's not exactly pronounced the way it's spelled. Um, but early on in the preseason, his junior year, um, cause he was only with us for two years after transferring in from Indian Hills. I went up to him, um, one day and I said, Hey, uh, Coachea, is, is that the correct pronunciation? He said, Oh yeah, that's perfect. So, um, 
you just kind of went from there and it's a really cool name if you get it down and he does something big you can kind of drag it out a little bit and if you're confident <laughs> in how you're pronouncing it it's a really cool name to play with which you know, i think all announcers love uh but man i mean some of the pronunciations that people would would have and um try to do it honestly a lot of times announcers would actually start by trying to pronounce his last name and then give up on the first couple of possessions and then say, you know what, I'm just going to call him Yvonne the rest of the game, which That's right. I, nev I never wanted to do, especially as the home TV announcer. Like I was going to get that down pat, hell or high water. So I, I made sure early <laughs> on that, uh, that I was ready to go. And I knew that he was probably going to make a pretty big impact in some games for two years. So if I was going to be here, I better get it down. Well, Scott Van Pelt on ESPN Sports Center uh, struggled with the name as well. He tried to get it and couldn't do it and said he would try to do it later in the show. I never saw if he actually did uh, later in the show, but uh, if SVP can't do it, that that's a pretty tough name. Funny story behind that too, Eric. Um, I, I spoke to Yvonne at practice a day or two later, and Yvonne was actually tweeting back and forth with him. Um, and Yvonne had no idea who Scott Van Pelt was. So he thought at first he thought he was just tweeting back and forth with some random fan. And then I guess one of his teammates or one of his buddies reached out to him and said, Hey, do you know who that is? He's like, no. He's like, look at his follower count. And he noticed he had millions of followers on Twitter. He goes, Oh, so this isn't just some random fan. They said, no, this is like the top anchor at sports center. So that, that was pretty funny to, uh, to talk to him about that. That is awesome to hear that SVP was involved uh, with Auri Koachea on that level. Uh, switching to women's basketball, New Mexico State did not have the season that yeah. they were looking for. I know you cover the women's team. You also cover volleyball. You do baseball, softball, men's basketball. You do it all there at New Mexico State. But the women's team finished up 8-8 eight and eight in the WAC, uh, which uh, they were picked first in the league at the beginning of the season. Of course, Gia Pack missed uh, seven or eight games due to injury. She came back for that first round of the tournament. Didn't quite look like Gia Pack, but seemed to give the team an emotional lift. Uh, they played like like a team maybe that we saw the year before, and that would have been a great matchup uh, with New Mexico State and Kansas City in the semis if uh, that would have happened because they both played in the quarterfinals. Yes, yeah, similar to the men's team, Eric, I think they started to peak at the end. Uh, they won four of their final six. I, I felt like for sure they were playing their best basketball this season. And just like the men's team, it, it was because of their defense. Their defense was ramped up big time. They were getting contributions from a number of different players. They also dealt with some injuries during the course of the season. Um, Gia Pack, most notably, as you mentioned. So I felt like they were playing the best they have played all season. Now, Kansas City with Erica Mattingly, uh, they were going to be tough to knock off, but it just felt like this year, more so than any other year I've been a part of here, even last year when the Aggies needed two overtime games to win the tournament, I felt like it was pretty wide open. Now, that, that's not to say Kansas City um, wouldn't have won the tournament. They were the favorite, but I do think the Aggies would have challenged them, and I think there was a handful of teams that had a chance to win it all. So that would have been fun to follow. I think this was the best women's tournament on paper as far as parity that you can really imagine. So unfortunately, we didn't get to see it play out. But uh, yeah, they were peaking for sure.
Switching over to baseball now, the Aggies were off to a fantastic start, 12-4, and and all four losses were to top 20-ranked teams. They lost to Arizona State and then to Texas A&M, but uh, especially at home, New Mexico State was really knocking the cover off the yep. ball, and it really looked like this team, Adam, had a chance to maybe even be better than the year before and, and maybe be one of those special kind of teams. They did. They were built different. Um, I think it would have been really fun to watch how the WAC season panned out. Um, played Arizona State really, really tough in a midweek in Phoenix early on in the season. And then against Texas A&M, uh, played tough on Friday, um, probably gave one away. Honestly, on Saturday, they were ahead 5-0 and then struggled on Sunday. But uh, they were about to play San Diego State the weekend when everything got postponed. And, um, I mean, when you have the best player – in the country, potentially, as, as an offensive player like Nick Gonzalez, you love your chances. And they had another All-American in Tristan Peterson. The Friday starter was an All-American in the preseason in Chance Roach. I felt like the weekend rotation was better than it was um, last season. And I felt like the bullpen was coming on as well. So uh, that would have been interesting to follow. I, I, you know, I felt like the whack was deep, especially at the top. I, you know, Grand Canyon was playing well. Uh, UTRGV had some really nice wins in the preseason and Sacramento state was typical Sacramento state where they were just going to pitch it well, every single game on a weekend. And, and you knew that coming in. So um, that would have been really enjoyable to see what would have happened. 12 and four was the record. As you mentioned, um, I, I certainly think this team had a chance to get to 35, maybe 40 wins again and uh, continue the ascension of this program. And, I, the biggest thing for me, Eric, is we had this Nick Gonzalez mm-hmm. kid that is just unbelievable to watch. I mean, it, it got to the point, and it's unfair to him, but it got to the point, Eric, where if he did not hit a home run, we were shocked. And, of course, baseball is a tough game. You can't do that every single time. But he was playing that well uh, that if he wasn't homering every single A-B, it was almost a big surprise. Yeah, Nick Gonzalez, a year after leading the nation in batting average, was off to an even better start this year. 12 home runs, 36 runs batted in in just 16 games. And I think you tweeted this out, Adam, that Nick was on pace to break the NCAA single season home run record, which was held by Pete and Cavilia, I believe back in the 1980s when they used metal bats. And Pete and Cavilia was kind of a big dude. Nick Gonzalez is a very strong player, but uh, not your typical build for a uh, power hitter. And I was interested, too, to see in the whack how teams would pitch to him. Because we were getting to the point where not many teams were pitching to him. In fact, I think there was a game at Texas A&M, if I can remember this situation correctly, runners are in first and second. I believe there was two outs, and they walked him intentionally. Um, so nobody wanted to pitch to him. I mean, he was that dangerous at that point, and he made the transition from second base to shortstop, and it was a pretty smooth transition. And it was to the point where I talked to some scouts, and uh, they were thinking about the idea of potentially starting him at shortstop professionally, and then if it didn't work out, moving him over to second base. And that might still be the case. I don't know. But um, uh, what a what a special talent. And for somebody who was a college walk-on to do what he did in those three years, and then you throw in the summer on the Cape where he's the Cape Cod League MVP, um, you just have to wonder if you're going to see somebody like that ever again here. I mean, it, it's, it's a place where um, 
you know, Brian Green and his staff did such a good job of recruiting here. And now Mike Kirby and his staff, are, they're doing the same, um, where you can get some kids from Tucson and some Phoenix that maybe were overlooked and you get them here, their families can make the short drive here to watch them play. And then Nick just took off like so many others have, but he took off on a different level. And uh, that was fun to follow for three years. And Nick is still a junior, so he'll have a decision to make in the uh, not too distant future, but uh, seeing some of the baseball publications, uh, possible top five pick in the major league draft. Is that what you're hearing, Adam? Yeah, a lot of places have him pegged at four or five right now, so I, I can't really see that changing. He didn't do anything to hurt his stock during the course <laughs> of the month that he played this year. And we heard from a lot of scouts, though, that said it, it didn't really matter what he did during the school season. He got drafted during his summer in the Cape. I mean, that's where he made a name for himself. That's where he showed he could hit elite pitching. Um, people will say the ballpark here is offensive, which I'll agree with. I don't think it's steered as much as some scouts would say, but um, he proved during the summer that he could hit elite pitching um, in a neutral ballpark and hit it consistently at a high level. Um, and, and he, of course, did that as well during the school season. So, yeah, I think top five is certainly, um, I wouldn't call it a lock, but I, I think it's pretty safe to say that he'll be a top five pick. And, I mean, Last year, we had Joey Ortiz. He was the first pick of round four, and he was the highest drafted player in program history. And now you're talking about a kid who's top five round one. And I think the coolest team statistic on this, Eric, will be is if Nick goes in the top six rounds, which is a slam dunk at this point, this will be the fifth straight year the Aggies have a top six round pick. Um, and, and that's hard to do. I, I would have to do some research to see how many programs, especially how many mid-major programs have done that over the course of the last five years. And one of the other things to keep an eye on, Adam, is Major League Baseball talking about, about potentially going to a five-round draft. Normally the draft is 50 rounds, and we see many uh, whack mm -hmm. players get drafted each year, uh, somewhere between 15 and 20, I think, is the average. And, and we saw some players come back this year to play after they were drafted kind of in the later rounds, but with only five rounds, that might limit uh, the chances for some players uh, to play at, at the next level. And uh, we'll also have to keep an eye on what the NCAA is going to do if they're going to give another year of eligibility uh, for the spring sports, uh, which is being talked about. So a, a lot to consider there. And it seems like there's a couple other guys besides Nick Gonzalez from New Mexico State that could have been potentially drafted this year. Yeah, Tristan Peterson, uh, certainly one of those guys. I think Chris Jefferson was pitching well enough to get the attention of a lot of scouts. And Chance Roach, who uh, last year won 10 games and this year uh, was going to have a great season as well. So um, there's more names than just those. But um, I know there were a lot of guys who were getting looks from scouts. Now, whether uh, that would have factored into this or not, I don't know. Uh, but this will impact college baseball tremendously. I, I've read a little bit about this, and in one of the articles I read, it, it basically said that the talent that will come back to school next year because of the draft going to five rounds or 10 rounds or whatever it happens to be, um, a lot of these guys who would have been, say, a 13th or a 14th rounder will come back to school, and that's going to help out college baseball uh, because it'll add in more talent to the college game, whereas if you were a junior and you were drafted, let's say in the 25th round, you might have opted to go instead of come back. Um, you know, I feel so bad for these spring athletes. I mean, 
they're going to have some really hard decisions to make. Um, you know, I think of a guy like Tristan Peterson, who I know for a fact was on the radar of a lot of scouts. Uh, he's a 4.0 engineering major. So um, he'll be just fine after, <laughs> after college baseball. He'll be just fine. But I know his dream is to play professionally. So you just help for you hope for guys like Tristan and others that this all works out well and you know that the process helps them out and it doesn't hurt them because they've already had their senior year pretty much taken away and we'll see what the NCAA votes are as far as allowing seniors to come back if that happens if it doesn't happen um, I believe that decision might come later today so I'm um, just crossing my fingers and hoping that for all these guys that it really, really impacts, um, that it, that it works out well for them. Let's move on to softball. New Mexico state was in first place in the WAC uh, just prior to conference play beginning with a 15 and eight record. They had some big wins early in the year. They, they beat Arizona state. Uh, they had a big win over New Mexico, their final win before the season was canceled four to three. And they had a lot of new faces, some freshmen, playing key roles on the Aggies team and they look like a team that was not only going to be good this year but maybe for years to come they did youth was kind of the model this year and I recall talking to Kathy Rodolph the head coach and Kat Hefner the hitting coach and associate head coach about a week and a half or two weeks before the season began and I went in their office and I kind of figured that just looking at the roster that this could be a rebuilding year. You know, you have so many young players, you lose two four-year starters and Kelsey Horton and Victoria Castro. And they were as excited as any coach could be um, talking about their freshmen. They felt like they had a phenomenal freshman class. There were a couple pieces in that freshman class that they thought were ready to play right away and be stars right away. And uh, they were right. We, we called the game on television the season opener against Nebraska, they almost run rule Nebraska. Then later on that weekend, they played a nail biter in front of a sold out crowd against Arkansas, the 20th ranked team in the country. And then they got on a roll later on and uh, took down a number of power fives again. And it's been uh, phenomenal to see uh, what they've done with this program, especially against some of the elite programs around the country, Eric, they're beating a handful of power fives every single season. Uh, with less resources, uh, with lightly recruited players in some regards. And uh, Kathy and Kat and their staff, they've been able to get the most out of their talent. And looking ahead for this program, uh, like you said, a, a lot of freshmen. So they have a ton coming back next year and then the year after, the year after. Uh, the future is very bright for this program. And, um, yeah, they were starting to peak just like some other programs were in. I know they were really pleased with how their freshmen were playing because this team was pretty much built around freshmen uh, in this 2020 season. Talking with Adam Young, a broadcaster in New Mexico State who does it all. He, he can do volleyball, he can do basketball, baseball, softball, and does it seamlessly and always one of my favorite guys to work with uh, when we've used him at championships. And, and Adam, I, I really believe that uh, you're going to be one of those guys that uh, we're going to be like, hey, we knew that guy when, when we see you doing uh, some big games at, uh, you know, some some uh, different uh, networks and those kind of things. But uh, wanted to get some background on you. I know that you're from the Midwest and uh, was curious how you arrived in Las Cruces. Well, I appreciate that, Eric. I appreciate the kind words. That means a lot. Uh, never thought I'd be in the Southwest, to be honest with you. Um, you kind of go where the job takes you and uh, I moved a little bit right out of college. I moved to North Carolina, did a summer of summer collegiate wood bat baseball over there. 
uh, and then moved back to St. Louis because I had some opportunities with a number of different universities and then uh, got my first, I guess, really big break when uh, the play-by-play number one job opened up with the Gateway Grizzlies, a professional team in the St. Louis area that I actually had interned with uh, my junior year of college. Um, and their longtime voice, Joe Pott, left. He went to um, SIU Edwardsville full-time, where I went to college. And um, next thing you know, I'm the voice of a pro baseball team about 20 minutes from home. My parents could come to most of the home games. I had a lot of friends coming to the games. And I did that for four years. I was the voice of the Grizzlies, and I broadcast for four different colleges in the offseason. Uh, I had a pretty busy schedule because I was also full-time with the baseball team and I was doing sales and community relations and uh, media relations and you name it, I was doing it. And uh, somewhere along the line, and I don't know where it was or when it was, I had the itch to do TV play-by-play. And I really hadn't thought about it much um, when I was in college or right out of college, but I really wanted to do TV play-by-play. And uh, the job with NM State came open. two years before I got it. And I didn't get it the first time around. I finished second. uh, And it opened up two years later. And this is a good, uh, this is a good uh, story of perseverance for anybody listening. Uh, Two years later, it opened up again, and they called me and I got the job the second time around. I think the timing was better then. Um, And about a year into it, they, uh, they transitioned into Learfield. So they became, became a Learfield property. And that's where things I think personally really took off because I had always dreamed of uh, doing division one sports and working for Learfield. Um, so that happened. And uh, I became, um, I guess, um, a greater uh, versatile role, maybe um, for lack of a better phrase uh, with the university and, to this point now where I'm broadcasting every single sport that we do on television. So every game we do on TV, I'm doing it, um, which is uh, pretty exciting for me. And the big selling point, honestly, Eric, for whenever I took the job was um, they told me, they said, Hey, you're, the games are on Fox sports, Arizona, Fox sports, Southwest, and all these different Fox sports affiliates. And it's even grown the last couple of years to where we could be on four or five Fox sports affiliates on a given night. Um, that exposure uh, was really exciting uh, for me, both personally and also career-wise. So I jumped at the opportunity, and um, I'm grateful every single day for the opportunity that I'm given here. You'll want to follow Adam Young on Twitter at YoungPBP is his handle. And Adam, I saw you tweeted out recently uh, some good books for aspiring broadcasters to read, especially while we're all inside uh, for the uh, near future here. What are some books you recommend for aspiring broadcasters? Yeah, there's a couple in there that that I really, really think are important. Uh, The Art of Sportscasting is one. Call the Game is the second one, and they're available um, on Amazon or pretty much anywhere else. You can probably get a used copy for a couple bucks, to be honest. Um, But that's that's a book, and those two books in particular um, are books that I read uh, probably tirelessly early on in my career, just trying to figure out um, how the heck to do it um, and what professionals are saying about career path and all that kind of stuff. And um, I remember when I was a young broadcaster freaking out because I, uh, I, I didn't think I could do it. Um, I remember when I was a broadcast intern with the Gateway Grizzlies back uh, going into my senior year of college and my partner, uh, Joe Pott is in my opinion, one of the best baseball um, radio guys you'll find. 
and he does um, SIUE athletics now. So he's their voice and he did the Grizzlies for 10 years and I was his intern. And I mean, just watching him seamlessly call the action while weaving in stories, statistics so comfortably, I, I just thought like, this is, this is hard. And baseball is the toughest sport, in my opinion, to call just because, especially if you're working solo, you're on the air for three, three and a half, four hours, could be longer. And the stuff that you're talking about isn't necessarily on a piece of paper. It's just kind of in your brain. You're kind of just going off memory and you're trying to also have this flow and the game kind of dictates the flow. So if it's not a very well-played game on the field, <laughs> your flow could suffer. So um, I remember as a kid, just wondering how the heck do you do this and just studying broadcasters, studying books and just trying to pick the brain of people that I really, really enjoyed in the business. And then eventually you get to a point where you're pretty comfortable. And then I made the transition from radio to TV. And I remember my first <clears throat> TV game here, I was scared to death. Uh, we had a volleyball telecast and I had very little volleyball experience. It was on Fox Sports Arizona. So I'm telling myself, probably psyching myself out, telling myself, <clears throat> if I screw up, I'm going to get exposed because it's on television. So people can see what's going on. And uh, eventually over time, I became a lot more comfortable to the point where I'm at right now, where I'm still trying to improve on a daily basis, but um, you know, I feel a lot more comfortable with what I'm doing on the air. Adam, I don't know if people realize the difference between broadcasting a game on radio as opposed to broadcasting on TV. Obviously on TV, fans can see the action, so you don't have to maybe say as much, but there's still an art form to it, whereas on the radio, you're really trying to paint a picture for the listener. That's a good point. And honestly, my biggest challenge here, Eric, because I do so many sports and I do TV and I do some radio uh, during like crossover season, I'll do one sport on TV, let's say on a Friday, I'll do another sport on radio on a Saturday and I'll switch back to TV on a different sport on a Sunday. So, I mean, you really, ha you really have to be in, a, in the proper mindset about what medium you're calling. Um, of course, what sport you're doing, but the medium is so important. And that's probably what I look back on the most when I listen back to my tapes and watch my tapes is I'm trying to see if I'm on TV, am I talking too much? And if I'm on radio, am I talking enough? Am I giving the score enough? Um, am I describing well enough? Because if you're on radio, you need to describe, you need to give the score. If you're on television, you do not need to give the score. I mean, sometimes you will just to drop it in, but people can see it. And you also want to let the game breathe. And you also need to get your color analyst to make sure he's the star of the show because that's what TV is all about. So um, yeah, there's, um, there's a struggle with that for me. Um, and I think that's one of the most challenging parts of the job that I have is I'm doing so many sports and I'm doing it on radio and television. And when you get to that crossover season, um, it, it can really be a challenge. Talking with Adam Young and Adam, you mentioned the, how difficult it is to call a baseball game by yourself. Uh, just wondering with all the different sports you do, uh, you do such a good job with baseball, but do such a good job with all your, all the sports. What's your favorite sport to call? I was always told to give this answer, Eric, uh, your favorite sport <laughs> is your favorite sport is the sport you're calling today. And since we don't have any sports today, um, I'd probably say basketball or baseball. Um, and I say basketball because I played it growing up. It was my first love. I actually coached it a little bit, believe it or not, right out of college. I went back to my old high school when I had some free time and I did some workouts with players and I was an assistant coach 
um, as well. And it just became to be too much. But if I wasn't doing this, if I wasn't a broadcaster, I think what I would have chosen to do was be a basketball coach. Um, <clears throat> I played it through high school, so I didn't play it at the highest level, but I played it at a pretty high level. And I feel like I see the game on the basketball floor better than any other sport. So I can see things developing. Um, baseball is the sport I have the most experience with just because I called pro baseball for four years and you're doing a hundred games in like 110 days. It's crazy. And if you're a young broadcaster, I recommend doing pro baseball or summer collegiate baseball because you're doing a game pretty much every single day and you're working out the kinks and getting a ton of reps. Uh, so baseball, I had the most experience basketball. Um, I feel like I'm best at, and then the sport where I struggle the most is football. Cause I never played it. Uh, and my high school never had football. So basically my football experience is just growing up watching it on TV. So, uh, doing football the last, I guess, I think three years has been the biggest challenge for me, just kind of studying the game and feeling comfortable to, to the level where I want to be at. Adam, with my role here in the WAC, I, I get quite a few resumes sent my way from play-by-play -play folks uh, looking to do uh, basketball or baseball, but you don't get very many uh, looking to do other sports, uh, soccer or softball or track and field or swimming and diving or what, whatever the sport happens to be. But you have a skill to kind of do any sport that uh, you put your mind to, and I, I think that really separates you. No question. Yep. And that's the way I've looked at it as well. I think those Olympic sports are pivotal. If you're somebody like myself that eventually would like to move up um, to another level, um, that's probably the sport or the sports that you'll be calling right away. And honestly, volleyball has quickly turned into one of my favorite sports. I, I love the uh, fast paced action. Um, we're blessed with a really good program and a really good head coach in Mike Jordan here at NM State. Uh, so that's a sport that especially over the last couple of years, I've really uh, taken a liking to. And I, I think I have one of the more unique jobs, Eric, around the country because I call volleyball and radio solo. And I don't think there are many people <laughs> around the country that do that. In fact, uh, we had an NCAA tournament match this year, and we were trying to find a fill-in because I had, I think, basketball to do. And we struggled mm -hmm. to find a fill-in because there wasn't a whole lot of people with experience calling volleyball and radio and the people we did talk to that did it on our television said, Oh no, I'm not doing that on radio. That's almost impossible. So I, I feel like I do have a niche um, with that here. And while it is really, really challenging to call volleyball and radio, um, I really enjoy it. So that's been, uh, that's been cool to, uh, to grow in the last couple of years. We had a chance to see Adam at the WAG basketball tournament who was about to call a game with said Bonner and, I should say both guys are in a fantastic shape. And Adam, I know you're a guy who likes to get outside, a guy who likes to get yeah. in the gym and work out. How are you staying fit during this time of shelter in place? So my, uh, my fiance is um, a longtime college basketball coach, and now she's the director of operations at USC. And she, right. was, um, she was a player in her playing days at Nebraska. Then she coached at San Diego, New Mexico State. And uh, she also coached in Nebraska and uh, she's big into fitness. Um, I always tell her, you need to be a personal trainer. You're phenomenal at, you know, knowing what to do and how to do it properly and all that. So she's actually been the one organizing our workouts. I do it at a different pace and a different level than she does it at. 
Uh, her level's a little higher than me, but um, we've been able to do some workouts in like the park where we're social distancing ourselves from people. Uh, we're on our own doing workouts in the park and then, you know, just trying to walk outside or jog outside or run outside. So we've done a pretty good job of still keeping our uh, workout regimen uh, intact. In it's been different and uh, she pushes me pretty hard, but uh, she's been the key to success in, in that regard the last couple of weeks. Adam, it's always good to give a shout out to the fiance. Also, we want to thank you for taking some time out. Uh, we hope you stay healthy, stay safe uh, during this time. And uh, thanks for joining us here on the WAC podcast. Likewise, Eric. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. That is Adam Young, the director of broadcasting for NM State Sports Properties. Want to thank him again. Want to thank Rachel Vigil for visiting us in the first segment. To next week, uh, we're planning on talking to Paul Coro from Grand Canyon University, the uh, Lopes, with a couple of uh, big changes with their basketball coaches. And we'll talk to Paul about that. And we want to thank you for listening to the WAC Podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at WACsports.com.